The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss using MarTech to recapture what you've lost. Joining us is Ryan Urban and Chris Mobayani. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Wonderkin, and Chris is the Associate Vice President of Integrated Marketing. Wonderkin is a MarTech company that helps organizations like HelloFresh, Samsonite, and Tribune Interactive identify unknown users on their website without using cookies. And today, Ryan and Chris and I are going to discuss smart ways to reach e-commerce customers. Okay, on with the show. Here's my conversation with Ryan Urban and Chris Mobayani from Wonderkin, formerly known as BounceX. Ryan, Chris, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. What's going on, man? Very excited to have you guys here. This is a little bit of a an audible already. Ryan, it was just going to be me and you talking, and Chris is jumping in the podcast. Tell us a little bit about who you guys are. Ryan, why don't we have you start? Give me the name, the business, all the stuff that you wanted to skip over. First, how would you describe our Zoom backgrounds? Fabulous. Chris has got it going. It looks like the LSU Tiger. It's actually summer new branding. And what am I wearing? You actually have a blazer with no shirt under it. It's comfortable, though. I got it in an airport in Germany. It was like 60 bucks. It's like my most comfortable blazer. I'm happy for you. You look very comfortable. <laughs> that said, let's talk a little bit about what you guys do. I know that you're going through a rebrand. We're going to talk about that too. You guys were BounceX. Now you're Wonderkin. What is that? We're still BounceX. BounceX is kind of uh, in our soul. And it's just where we were in our kind of childhood. So an upbrand to us, and I don't use the word change or rename. There's no re or change. It's BounceX served us really well. And that was the starting point. We, this is year eight for us. And Uprand is the new chapter, a new season. So it's when you're really going for it and trying to build something special. And for us, it's, it's trying to create extreme value. So we are over goals. Like someone signs with us, no matter if your company's doing $5 billion in revenue or $10 million, And we want to increase that by 25% in three months. What we look at is kind of that extreme profound value. That's what we do. I happen to be founder of CEO of the company. And it's more fun now than ever, actually, for me. Chris, let's get your take as well. Tell me what you guys do. Yeah, for sure. We're a performance marketing software. So what we do is allow e-commerce companies, publishers, really any company with an online presence to basically invest in their own channels, like their performance marketing channels. So we're able to dramatically increase the revenue that brands and retailers see from own channels like email, SMS, and on their website by being able to better recognize their customers 
So we can increase the relevancy of the messaging they see and increase the scale of the one-to-one messages they're able to get. So the things that are not one-to-many, but down to the individual through email, through SMS and those channels. Okay. So I'm picking up what you're saying. There's a component of this that is identity resolution, where you're understanding who comes to a website without them expressly giving you their PI or saying who they are, right? You're able to figure out who you're targeting, bucket them, reach out to them with the right message at the right time. Talk to me about some of the ways that you're able to understand or collect data and how is that useful? So basically, we enable some of the biggest brands in the world to recognize their customers. Anyone who's their customer on a website, they can recognize those people. And then for the purpose of improving their experience on their website, and just instead of sending that blast email, be able to do one-to-one, be able to kind of scale that stuff for them. So we built out a network. And that was a big decision we made, I think, five years ago. And just like Shopify has built out a network. And Shopify audience listings, marketers, it's Shopify Plus, the $80 billion market cap company. I just bought something on this website called Shinesty. I bought these Oreo overalls. They're like pajama overalls. And since Shopify has a network as well, when I went to the checkout, all I had to do is click order. The checkout process took me under two seconds. And Shopify does a great job. They call it ShopPay. So we do something similar. We just allow people to recognize people uh, for the purposes of scaling all the kind of one-time messages. Our original product really helped people collect permissions and collect emails. So everything we've done has always been like, hey, it's probably a good idea to have more people opt in to email on your website and do everything kind of opt-in-based. So having that original technology and, and having a lot of scale there allowed us to kind of build this network out. And the network's to support two things. One, it's for consumers because buying shit is fun they can get a much better experience. So we've always focused on two things, which is drive revenue and improve, buy improving experience. So give consumers what they want and let them drop out what they don't want and make that really easy. And if you do that, they buy at higher rates. So Google, Facebook do a great job of getting people to a website. We make sure people buy at higher rates or come back more often. So we do a really good job of getting people who are interested to come back way more often. Okay, so you create a network. And I'm a little curious. I want to click into what that really means because... I think it's interesting, and mostly as we're moving towards the cookie-less environment and we're getting rid of cookies and tracking is going to be a little different. You're able to basically say, all right, I already know who this person is because they're going through an e-commerce experience of some sort. And I'm assuming that happens on multiple different platforms, right? different brands. Just like Shopify, you could use Shopify Pay across multiple different sort of boutique websites. Well, yeah, the consumer doesn't even really know what Shopify Pay is. They just know they go to a checkout and they either get text to their code or they could just check out with one button. And same thing for us. It's like, how do you create that super seamless consumer experience? And first-party cookies aren't going away. It's third-party. Third-party, we're like, where you go from side to side. So we don't lie on those. We're definitely a first-party network. We're not relying on a first-party cookie either, the way our technology works. But we have so much scale to get this. Like Shopify has first-party scale because they're your e-commerce platform and they provide a value for service. We have a lot of first-party scale because we have a lot of publishers and e-commerce companies put our technology, in some cases, our JavaScript on their website that's providing value to them, which is enabling them to collect more emails by being thoughtful about it, by improving conversion rates, and having a lot of publisher clients is really helpful too. So then having all this kind of first-party scale, which means that someone is usually paying us and they're putting our technology on the website, having that massive scale allows us to build a network out. Chris, help me out here. What do you add on to that? The best way to think about it, e-commerce companies, they have these really rich customer profiles. Everyone's heard the term how data is the new oil. And there was this huge land grab of how can I make as rich and robust of a profile around a consumer that I have history with as a retailer and use that to improve their experience and personalize the experience. Where personalization fails is that they can't connect the dots between those rich profiles that they have that can influence the experience on the website and through these different channels and the tools they actually have to execute on that. 
The reason for that is because the tools that they have to recognize that individual are honestly inadequate. Cookies expire, people use multiple devices, they weren't created for our current world, and they're not really designed to be used in that way. Like Cookies aren't intended to be a way to effectively recognize someone who you should already know. We're able to tell them, hey, this is someone who you do already know, you have gotten opt-in from, you have permission with. And we allow them to connect the dots to increase the scale of that personalized experience and to actually allow them to see value out of it and provide a better experience to the customer. Ryan, it seems like you had something you wanted to add there. Our business is super simple. So it's someone comes to the website. First, if the person is, um, say, name a big e-commerce brand. Bonobos. So it's Bonobos. Say they get a million business a month. Someone comes to the website. We use our technology. We're just simply recognizing, say, about half the traffic. That's improving over time as we build out our network. Then we go to Bonobos and say, hey, we take their serum file and we look to say, who's Bonobos customer or not? And if it's Bonobos customer, we let Bonobos know, hey, these people are extra customers. And if it's not your customer, then say, hey, cool, like, let's kind of deploy some really smart email opt-in campaigns to have that person opt-in and let's try to influence that person to become a customer. So let's talk a little bit about that, actually. Somebody comes to the website, you recognize whether they are a customer or not. If they are a customer, you have some records on them. You have a general sense of how you want to merchandise and what you want that experience to look like. When they're not a customer and you're entering your smart email campaigns, time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Talk to me about some of the ways that you're reaching those customers and what's actually effective in terms of taking those prospects and getting them into the funnel. So I'll just talk about some stuff that we do and some stuff we don't do. So the first thing is, say you're bringing that person there from a Facebook ad. First, it's like, okay, well, make sure you took your highest LTV segment and you made a look like audience of that. So it's the right person coming. People really miss the introductory incentive. They do a horrible job on that. So they don't do enough testing on that. So that's a, what's the right introductory incentive is a big deal and can make or break a business. And but it was having me 20% off with a minimum of $125. That was the least amount of those lowest discount with the max like AOV, the max lifetime value, lowest return rate, highest repeat rate. So like, and you got to measure all this. So what's ultimately the best one? If you, if of course, if the discount's higher, you get more people buying the first purchase, but then 
they only buy a discount, they may repeat at lower rates, you can put a minimum threshold on or not. So I always find percentage off where the minimum threshold is by far the best option. And if you do staggered codes, if you do a tiered offers, if you're doing an offer, tiered offers is the best where it's like, hey, it's 15% off minimum 100, 20% off minimum 250, and 25% off minimum 500. So you create those different tiers and you do it as percentage off. I always thought that tiered offer was a way for you to just add the same thing to your cart three times, knowing you're going to return a bunch of stuff anyway, but go on. Well, you could do that. That's great too. You made the purchase. So they got you to do it. So that's kind of what we do. And, and our stuff's really simple. We study like what emails do people want to receive? What emails do they not like getting? But 90% of the people on your website are either looking at products or adding to cart. And we allow for like about half the people that you could just send them an email when they leave with everything they're interested in. So first, it's like a recap. It's like, oh, here's the stuff that you were interested in. And then as events happen, like if say the price drops on something you're interested in two months later, we'll send an email say, oh, cool. This thing you're really interested in, it's price drop and go see the new price. Or hey, this thing you're interested in is low in inventory. It might sell out. Or if your size is sold out and it's something's back in stock, well, you know. So it's simple things like that at a lot of scale. And how do you get more people to opt in? And how do you send those relevant one-to-one emails to those people? And outside of card abandonment, we pretty much invented every single one-to-one message you see in the internet at our company. So the idea here is that you're building a personalized experience based on somebody's initial experience with your brand, and you're collecting some of their browsing data before you recognize who they are, and you're somehow able to reach them with messaging. Yeah, we look at the world as prospects and customers, which analytics platforms don't recognize, like Google, I'm sure. You can't go and say, hey, who are non-customers or prospects versus customers on a website? Those analytics platforms do not report on it. Our technology fundamentally looks at those things. And then we treat prospects very differently. So a prospect, even the ones who buy, are really going to buy that first visit. So you want to collect as many emails from prospects as possible or SMS updates. So your goal should be, how do you get north of 10% of those people who are prospects coming through a Google or Facebook ad or coming in organically, but haven't bought yet, to opt into email so you can do the right follow-ups and tell your brand story. So that's one, maximize email opt-ins to the right automated follow-ups. So that's strategy number one, and we're killers at that. So I get that with the prospects, you want to collect their email addresses to follow up with them. But if you're only getting access to them once, how are you continuing to reach out to them? Are you just doing Facebook ads and you're continuing to put advertising budget into getting them to return? Or what's the cadence to get somebody from a unknown prospect to an email collected prospect? The truth is when someone leaves your website, the only two strategies that work are hope and pride. And did you collect their email? Were you able to follow up in that channel? Regular like retargeting banner ads just don't work. You could do some Facebook retargeting. It'll have some mild effectiveness. But you're talking about like a 2%. So like retargeting using display ads is just not going to have a profound impact on your business. And the only display ads that work are on Facebook and Instagram. And they don't work anywhere else in the internet, including on YouTube. And Facebook and Instagram have limited scale in the overall scheme of the world. So the only way that works is like, did you create a memorable enough experience when you're there where people who have that open tab come back? And did you collect their email or get an SMS opt-in where you can do all the target follow-ups? So how do you collect more emails? Well, first, it's create a KPI and say, hey, how many permissions do I get per 1,000 visitors? And most of our prospects are like under 10 per 1,000. So then you create a goal. And then it's like, okay, well, then you need X number of opportunities or impressions to ask your audience for it. And then you want those opportunities to convert at high rates. So how do you get those opportunities to convert at high rates? It's you ask people at the right time. So we invented something called behavioral marketing, which is looking at different behaviors on a website. The first one, we rolled those eggs in it. So when you're leaving a website, ask people there. But we look at a variety of behaviors and figure out the right timing to ask someone and then figure out who that person is, where they're coming from, what's really in it for them, and word in a way that's like very beneficial to that person. And then make sure the technology just like loads instantly, it's really smooth, it's super on brands, 
we do all those things. So make sure that the timing's right, make sure they understand who it is, make sure the message is right, make sure the technology's super fast. Generally, a good hot tip is like almost everyone's website is super slow shit on mobile. And by moving to a progressive web app and doing some other things, you can improve your conversion rate by 10 to 20%, which is a real number on mobile. And it's a profound impact on a business. Whatever you use in marketing technology, it's not going to impact your business more than a couple percent, generally. That's about it. If you run a sale on your website, you can influence conversion 40% that week. I'm not saying that's a good thing to do over and over again. But like marketing technologies generally are just absolute trash. There's 5,000 more tech companies. They're almost all trash. Everything you read or see, it just doesn't really impact your business. And we decided that we were going to do it. So right now, we impact our clients about 10 to 15%. We want to get to 25% plus. So the moral of the story here is that if you don't collect the email address up front, there's very little that you can do to influence the person converting from a prospect to a lead and then eventually a customer, right? That email capture is really all you're geared for when you have an unknown prospect. SMS is great too. Right. Gathering some sort of contact information where you can continue to reach out to somebody. Although the problem is like, look at all the publishing world, all the websites and the internet. There's Facebook and Instagram where ads work and there's Google text ads. Those ads work. And Amazon product ads that go internally work as well. Every, all of the advertising internet does not work. No one talks about this. So you look at YouTube advertising does not work. Snapchat does not work. Twitter does not work. Pinterest does not work. So YouTube has more time spent on it than Facebook and Instagram combined. And not a single one of our clients has that as a performance show. Not a single one. And video is a superior format to flat banner ads. So it's just embarrassing that like Google hasn't figured this out. And then Snapchat hasn't figured it out. And Twitter hasn't figured it out to make advertising performance. It's really hard to make it work. So on the publisher side of the world, where you have the CNN, CNBCs, whether it comes, the biggest sites on the internet, where it's probably like five to 10 times the amount of time spent on all the other sites on the internet than on Facebook, they also don't have advertising networks either. So that's going to be like a 10-year project for us to make the advertising on the rest of the non-walled gardens. I'm not counting Snapchat, but make advertising on every other site on the internet work just as well as Facebook, Instagram advertising. So we want to bring that because that will really help brands grow because Facebook, Instagram advertising works amazing. It's just really expensive. I think it's a bold statement that advertising across other channels outside of Facebook and Instagram are totally ineffective. I think that in e-commerce, obviously, Facebook and Instagram are dominant, specifically Instagram. And I think that there is a dependency for different types of brands on different channels. But I understand what you're saying with e-commerce brands being heavily dependent, specifically on Instagram, to try to drive that initial conversion. It seems where people are passively consuming content and they're kind of in buy mode or they're just ready to consume content and be influenced when they're there. And maybe that's not the case in some of the other channels. I'm going to tell the truth. What you said is completely wrong. Fire away. So uh, one, Facebook advertising probably works better than Instagram advertising, but that's not the reason it works. Actually, the mode of people on Facebook is not in buying mode. Instagram has converted that a little bit, but people are not in buy mode on these channels. And unlike publishers, so like the New York Times, they have an actual reputational end where it's like if the New York Times is putting something on there and you're an advertiser there, it's actually a big thing. Facebook does not have a reputational end. So, or a magazine has a reputational end. If you're in Vogue, that's a big deal. Like you're using Vogue's reputation. Facebook itself does not have the reputation. So they're actually at a disadvantage to, I think, all the other places in the internet. There's a lot of reasons why their advertising is effective. I could go on a five-minute round why that is, but the reason no other platforms have cared to make advertising work for advertisers. And Facebook has been maniacal about it. It's so required Instagram and they made it work. And if they had YouTube, YouTube would be the number one channel for everybody. It's not a different channel for different things. It's brand advertisers are spending money on ineffective advertising and a lot of things. And there's podcast advertising is actually very effective. It's not a digital link someone's clicking through. TV advertising is actually pretty effective too. So I'm talking about like online banner video advertising. Yeah, the direct response stuff is really hard, mostly the display stuff. 
is really hard to validate that you're getting positive ROIs from a direct response perspective. I mean, we've seen this with programmatic advertising effectively serves as a brand campaign to have people be aware of you. And you're running all these banner ads, at least when we ran programmatic campaigns, we're just hoping that we see a lift on organic and direct, right? Hoping that we're staying in front of people and gaining some awareness. So we're able to get them to the website when they're ready, right? It is a preceding the direct response advertising. Yeah, and that's complete bullshit. It sounds great. And that's what publishers want to tell you. I wish it was true. That'd be great. Like Google search ads are straight direct response. No argument about that. If someone has intent, someone had intent to buy something and Google's like, hey, you can bid for this term, someone had intent. It doesn't create intent. It's either someone has intent or you're driving intent. So there are some things that are for awareness. That's like if you're sponsoring a TV stadium, you're associated with an iconic brand, a celebrity, an influencer stuff is for that association. But when you're talking about online advertising and banner ads, that's not awareness. There's performance branding, which a Facebook ad is. So Facebook ad creates the awareness. So it's not like people had awareness of you before Facebook ad, there's retargeting, but most of it is prospecting. But it's look like prospecting. Facebook takes your best customers. You just put the pixel on the website, you send it to them. They create audiences of people that look like them. And where people think where Facebook's data has come from is actually bullshit too. No one's liked something on Facebook in five years. So Facebook doesn't have any data. They buy from the credit card companies. They look at your purchase data. That's how they create look likes. And they also look to see people click through Facebook, Instagram, and buy stuff. So Facebook doesn't have that much data on you. And so they have to buy it. The credit card companies have all the data on you. So you're mad at anyone. They mad at the credit card company selling your data. So Facebook takes your best customers. They create an audience of people who look like those customers. They roll out ads that are a full screen that don't interrupt people, that are the highest converting format ads possible, that also you could have rotating carousels there are six second videos, and then agencies that figured out how to tell brand stories in six seconds that not only engage someone, get someone to click through and buy something in that session or buy something in 30 days. So leave that tab open, buy it, or then they talk to their friend about it. So it's a winning ad format. It's an awareness kind of thing, but it creates intent and you're purchasing within that two-week cycle. So they think about it, you click their email, you follow up, but that's what it is. And the rest of the internet has not figured that at all. They not. And then what they'll say is it's an awareness campaign or it's a branding campaign. Now that's just advertising that doesn't work. And there are some things like that, but those aren't it. So programmatic advertising and CPMs haven't changed in 10 years. There's still a dollar on average. Facebook CPMs is like $40. It's insane. And it goes up every year, you know, because advertising works. So when advertising works, and this is where like Warren Buffett and other people didn't understand Google's business, they was so overpriced. The advertising works. So when advertising works, people will buy and still hit submitted for returns. And more and more people buy it. Facebook advertising works. When Facebook went public at $35 share price, went down to 17 the market didn't understand that their advertising works. And it did. And Twitter CEO and Snapchat CEO and Pinterest CEO, LinkedIn CEO as well, they didn't understand that they should make advertising that works. So they made advertising that charged the high CPMs. They made advertising that felt good for brands who like want to showcase things. did not make advertising that works. And Facebook, you also buy it on a CPA. You put in a number and they'll bid for you. So you're pro-Facebook is what I'm hearing. I am pro-effective advertising. Actually, I've deactivated Facebook. I don't have a Facebook account. I hate that place. I think it's terrible. But I'm very happy that they create advertising that works. And that's really benefited brands. All right. We're going to put a pin in it here for today. Lots to think about in terms of what effective advertising actually is. Sounds like, Ryan, you are very pro-Facebook in terms of an advertising medium and pretty much anti the rest of the advertising mediums outside of growth marketing, direct email. Tomorrow, we're going to come back and we're going to get some of Ryan and Chris's takes on how to regain lost revenue. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Ryan Urban and Chris Mobiani from Wonderkin, formerly BounceX, for joining us. In part two of this interview, we're going to talk about their data back recommendations for regaining lost revenue. 
If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to hear from Ryan and Chris, you can find the link to their LinkedIn profiles in our show notes. You can contact them on Twitter. Their handle is Wonderkin, W-U-N-D-E-R-K-I-N-D. Or you can visit their company website, which is wonderkin.co. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We've got summaries of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.